if you have a skip level meeting, that's where you get to like know like how how are things really going? Yeah. What are our clients and customers or users? What are people actually saying? And then truly listen to those lower level employees, and that's going to help. Like, does when people feel heard and like, oh my gosh, my boss's boss listened to me about something and then gave me credit. Like that is just like putting so many like coins in that bank of psychological safety, and it's going to help build this level of trust that is such a good investment for the organization. And people are going to feel a lot more loyal to your organization and to your leadership when you create a culture like that. In today's episode, we're speaking with Haley Grayliss. She's the founder and CEO of Vaxa Collective, a management consulting firm in Kansas City. I hope this episode brings some insight to you as to the complex dynamics between people and workplaces. Enjoy. So you have psychological safety as the goal. What's the opposite of psychological safety? Ooh, the opposite of psychological safety, I think would be that toxic workplace where people do not feel safe to be themselves, to speak up and to have a divergent thought and opinion, um, to give quality feedback and even feedback to a higher level person. I remember I was working with a company and talking about this idea of feedback and how there's like great scripts out there. Um, I use a lot of times like in a more informal setting, the Apple formula that they use. So it's Apple's fearless feedback. And it should be something that all levels can give to each other. I mean, it should be something like CEOs, if you want to be successful, should be open-minded enough to receive feedback from an entry-level employee. And when you can't do that and they're not open to it, like I had this client, they were like, oh, no, like that can, we, we want to give feedback top down always. Nobody should, that's just inappropriate. It's just like very antiquated mindset um, to say like, you can't, give feedback to somebody higher level than you. That is the opposite of psychological safety. If you cannot speak your mind and help people um, of, of all levels, but I'm also yeah. kind of a believer in, yes, hierarchy is good for a way of like structure, but right. to a degree, I'm not like, uh, I'm, I'm not very like compliance oriented person or rules oriented <laughs> person. I know some people love that kind of stuff out there and yeah. it can be, it has its place for sure. sure. But, overall we are human beings and not robots. And so we have to have like that sense of caring and connectedness that Brene Brown talks about. She actually through all of her like 25 years of amazing research around shame and vulnerability says that it's an irreducible requirement to have care and connection between people. And that is what produces wholehearted productive relationships between leaders yeah. and team members. So yeah. that, I mean, I literally probably share that quote. So Brene, if you're listening, I share that quote in almost we all of my workshops because it like just permeated my heart. I, and I was like, gosh, she says irreducible. You can't, you can't have a productive team without care and connectedness. And that's what right. like psychological safety is too. Yeah. For people who feel like, um, we don't want to hear the opinions of people who are lower down on the totem pole. They will hear them like the, their voices will be heard. And sometimes it's after they leave and on Glassdoor for like the whole world to see. That's a great point. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I like that net promoter score is checked in employee engagement reviews, which mm. is, would you recommend this workplace to um, another employee candidate or to a customer? And you want people, you want a high net promoter score with people saying, yeah. yes, I love working here. I would try to get all my friends to work here. Right. And if they say no, then that's a huge problem. And that's why we yeah. have to take yeah. those surveys really seriously and yeah. then have like one-on-one -on -one conversations. Like it just can't just be, you know, an online survey and then do nothing with the data. Um, I think that's, a, I mean, a really, really good point. And I share this with teams a lot. This is something that like leaders have to be transparent and like share that feedback, the, the data with the rest of the organization. Um, there's something that the predictive index does. They're one of um, Boston's, and I don't live in Boston, but I am a PI consultant through another company. And um, they actually have uh, Boston's best places to work anyway. And so one of the things that they do is this transparency thing. So their um, CEO and president, when they lead staff meetings, will do this right slash night portion on the agenda where they're sharing what's going right. So here are all the things that are going right. Um, here's, yeah. you know, how many clients we're getting, how's revenue going on mm -hmm. uh, workflows and things like that. And then what's keeping us up at night. And they actually share that with their team, but they're, they hold that, the onus and so that it's on them and this is what has made them such a great place to work in a successful company because they're transparent with people and then they delegate appropriately to people based on those people's strengths their interests what they want more opportunities in through continued learning and um that's like that really cool piece of delegation that i love talking about because delegation gets this really bad rap sometimes and so like actually i just talked about this in my facebook group yesterday on a live because a lot of people want to really know how do i delegate well and there was this really awesome uh, ceo who is the former ceo of um, burns mcdonald here in kansas city his name is greg graves and years ago when i was at a gen kc it's this um, young professional networking group panel called grow to ceo he actually said when somebody asked about like one of the most important things that he learned in leadership and he said if you're not willing to delegate welcome to mediocrity and that has stuck with me forever because a lot of times we think oh no like i need to just do all the work and get my hands dirty and get into the trenches or delegation is not done appropriately and it's just handed off to people the stuff you don't want to do the delegation yeah. is more of an art of deciding you know, who do I hand things off to, to actually empower them more, um, to free me up for more planning and big picture stuff, or to maximize what I'm good at and to work at the top of my license and then give others opportunities to grow in their skills and give them more opportunities for leadership yeah. or for execution on things they actually like doing. Yeah. And this, so I'm a big fan of Dan Sullivan of strategic coach. Have you heard of him? No, I, I think maybe I've heard his name though. Yeah. Is, he's awesome. Um, and one of the things that um, one of his theories is something called who, not how, mm. which is um, you're basically instead of getting trapped into trying to figure out how to do something that's not part of your unique ability, mm. you find who it is that loves doing that and is very good at it. So anytime you run into that wall of how do I do this, instead of trying to like, um, go into this infinite complexity of learning mm -hmm. how to do it you just find out who it is that you need i love that yeah awesome yeah he's he's the best a common theme that i'm i'm seeing is this idea of um 
focusing on the employee experience. Mm -hmm. And so like for like the past, you know, before I moved to Austin and then moved back, um, I lived in this area of Appalachia, which is, um, I guess it has this work culture where the idea is that you find employees, you find people to work for you and you pay them as little as you possibly can. And um, then when I moved to Austin, there was this shift, at least at the place that I worked at, which was like startup culture, which was you find the best talent you can possibly find, make them as happy as possible so you can keep them and like pay them as much as you can afford. (laughs) And that's like a complete, that's a completely, a complete shift um, to like this idea of, you know, find this is like, um, you know, on like some low level skill work, like if you're going to work at a fast food restaurant, for example, um, these hiring managers, they have stacks of applications and the people that work there, they say um, they feel replaceable because they're doing this low level skill and they themselves feel replaceable. Their managers know like, Hey, you basically have no flexibility here. Like you do the wrong thing. I'll boot you out and I'll get you replaced the next day. Mm -hmm. But then um, if you shift over to um, an employee uh, an employee focused workplace is the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. You find you're, you're searching for people who are um, the best talent for that role. And they, if you're, if you find the right people, they are in a sense irreplaceable and you try to keep them. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you seen this trend? Um, like it seems like a kind of a new, a new dynamic. Mm. Have you seen yeah. this it, like yeah, growing employees and want the, and to want to retain them? Yeah. Have you seen this yes. as like a growing value that people hold? Well, yeah. From like good leaders and some of my more like ideal clients, I would definitely mm-hmm. want somebody who wants to retain their good people. Now it's not to say that like new people are ever bad to bring in, but you know, turnover is expensive and like, let's hire the right person and then invest in them while they're here. Um, I think that's important because as you mentioned, like in the startup culture, you know, you want to find the right person and then pay them as much as you can. But I think a lot of times we have to remember, we have to make this sustainable and we have to like not forget about them after hiring them and giving them and announcing their salary. It has to be something where they're still not worked to the bone. They're still um, understood as a human being and like, you know, understanding them through personality assessments and just caring and connected conversations to get to know people because if managers don't truly know their person or their team members and they don't ask them, you know, how do you like to be communicated with? How do you deal with conflict? And um, how do you like to receive feedback? I mean, you don't know those things if you don't ask, you have to just Mm -hmm. ask people. And then we also have to manage up to leaders and let them know um, what our boundaries are, what our expectations are. If you have a thought in your head, you know, instead of holding it in and being resentful, you have to verbalize it because people are not telepathic. I mean, some people might be, but some people might be a majority. X- the majority of people are not telepathic. I've heard so many from managers to lower level team members say, yeah. 
well, I just wish uh, they should just know this. You know, this yeah. is just something that they, uh, you know, I wish they could just read my mind or this is obvious, right? No, I had a friend okay. <laughs> always. Yeah, exactly. He used to always say common sense is not common or it is. Yeah. It's just not like, um, ubiquitous in the workplace or the world. A lot of times right. what seems common sense to one person is totally out of left field to another. Mm-hmm. And that's because our brains work differently. We yeah. have different literal like brain chemistry and that's you know not just between men and women or um different ages and things like that but it's also like personalities you could have you know two white blonde women the same age uh who came from the same area who have very different ways of like having mental processes and the way that we like take in information about the world. Mm-hmm. So people won't know that if they don't just have a conversation with us. Yeah. One insight that I've had, and this is like as a relationship, just with my wife, mm-hmm. um, resentment begins like the first stage of resentment is silently expecting something from someone. So you expect it, but you just do it silently. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the seed of resentment. Such so like, and you know, like this phrase about dishes, it's never just about the dishes. You right. know, if it was just about the dishes, then it's just like, oh, it's hey, so can much you do, hey, that. can you do the dishes? It's really more like, you don't respect me as a person. Oh. Like, you don't have respect for me. Mm-hmm. And, or but, you think your time is more valuable than my right, time. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you see yeah. me as, uh, you know, just these terrible things. But, oh, and, yeah. and part of that is the silent expectation. Mm-hmm. of like I expect you to do the dishes and it's one thing to say like can you please do the dishes and that's when you actually verbalize it when you actually communicate then that resentment doesn't get to build in the dark because mm-hmm. it built it builds and builds in the person's head mm-hmm. um and then <clears throat> but if you just had that one moment to say hey could you do these dishes mm-hmm. it's like not even a big deal it's like sure oh, you know right? sure, yeah I could do that yeah And it doesn't need to be something where I think sometimes people, um, and like my personality type, especially because I'm pretty direct and I'll just ask that kind of thing. If somebody asks that question in a tiptoey, overly polite way, it almost annoys me. And I just want, like, I usually just say like, well, of course I can. You don't have to ask so politely, (laughs) you know, or like, uh, like I was just about to do the dishes or something, but it's just like, just ask it, be direct, and you don't have to do it in such a way that is um, yeah. going around the truth. And that's something yeah. that he talks about too. Like that yeah. is not part of psychological safety. And psychological safety, I think you brought up a great point, like of relationships between like you and your wife. It's not just in the workplace. You want all relationships to be psychologically safe. You know, you want it to be in homes and in friendships and in, I mean, like I try to just have that sort of demeanor out there in general you know, when I'm at the grocery store or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it kind of almost always comes back to the individual and how they can grow. Like, because if you're the kind of person who is like, I don't know, could you like do the dishes? Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm not trying to like be like super bossy or anything. I just like, I just want to know if like, if you could do them, Mm -hmm. like if you're there and you can't just say like that, I'd be Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the crazy thing too. Like when, when you have all these people working together, each person has their own idiosyncrasy and they're, all, they're each at a different level of development as their own self. So you could have, I mean, 
so I would, I would view if someone asked to do the dishes in that way, in that mm-hmm. tiptoey way, I would see that as like, I really want you to grow as a person to be able to just come out and say like, um, like you can take up space, you know, mm-hmm. like you can come that out is- and say, could you do this please? I love that. Like, I had that conversation recently. Yeah. I want, I want people to uh, feel free to like express what's on their mind and like really say what's on their heart. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like it's a personal development thing down to the individual level because like there's almost like some demons that you have to fight through to, for that person to get to that point. Yep. Right. Actually. Yeah. That's something that I've talked with a friend about and how she, well, so she's a Enneagram nine. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows about that, I'm nine. Oh, you are. Too, so that, yeah. Is that why you, this resonates with you about taking up space? Totally. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, as a nine, you would totally understand I'm a seven and um, like, I mean, I, you know, I can like take up space. I'm fine with it. And sure. like very like direct and extroverted and things. Yeah. But we've had to talk about how like, she doesn't need to say sorry for yeah. like that space in the kitchen or the bathroom right. or whatever. Yeah. It's, and so she actually told me, um, you know, like, I'm really glad that you said something about that, like telling me I can take up space and I don't need to apologize. I don't need to say sorry. I can say, excuse me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And cause I'd be like, you know, <laughs> don't say sorry. You're allowed yeah. to be here. You know, you're, yeah. you can literally take up physical space. That's fine. But it's yeah. interesting. Like it's a consistent thing with nines, you know, the peacemaker, yeah. they yeah. want to have yeah. this harmony. They will give up their, uh, their own needs and like, mm-hmm. uh, not voice their own opinions and things yeah. like that just to protect other people's and to protect yeah. the harmony and keep the peace. But it's, it's fake peace. It's it is fake, fake peace. It's fake yep. peace because mm-hmm. when you don't sit, when you don't speak up mm-hmm. and you silently expect, then the resentment brews. Oh, absolutely. That is yeah. so, so true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a good point. And I think that like coming like from my side of it, like sevens, the enthusiast really wants comfort and we want to avoid pain at all costs. So like I'm guilty of those things too, because mm-hmm. I just have a different motive. You know, it's like, I'm fine with like right. a little bit of conflict or confrontation, but once I get to be in like a consistently uncomfortable or um, emotionally painful place, uh, that, that's what I start to, um, you know, have my amygdala act up and mm-hmm. say like, Nope, I don't like this anymore. Yeah. I out. Yeah. You know, and how, how do people like, if you kind of like take a step back and view it from like a 10,000 foot view mm-hmm. you have like, and this is like pre COVID where you had people like actually in an office space, yeah. you have like a, an office space and a bunch of straight, well, essentially strangers kind of living in their whole their own world and, he, and each one of them is their own unique human being it's kind of like a social experiment like what would happen if you <laughs> stuck 50 strangers in an office space yeah it's like a reality it's like a reality tv show yeah that's a really great like point. there's how do you get how that's why i think i find it so interesting to like yeah. examine workplace dynamics and culture and like it's crazy like you'd think you know, the the goal of a business is to make money. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like the first thing that happens, but making money is a result of value creation. So, Mm -hmm. so like really that's the primary goal is value creation and then the money comes afterwards. But in order to do that, you have to have a bunch of people interacting with each other, which is like kind of difficult, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's complex. It's not like if it was just, 
uh, turn on a computer, push the buttons on the computer, and then you make money. Uh-huh. If it was that simple, um, you know, it would be a lot less complex. It's so exactly. complex. Well, I like that's one thing I remind people a lot is that, hey, we are, you're most likely not not printing money like you're not the fed i think doesn't the fed print money mm-hmm. you are not um like if we're motivated just by money like are you trying to be like scrooge mcduck and just like literally roll around in piles of cash of like dollar bills no we are trying to make money but that's i was having this conversation with somebody yesterday too mm-hmm. like money is totally this arbitrary social construct like yeah. it's not have an actual value. it's not real man it's not i mean yes it, it has real implications and like, yeah. consequences of not having it or having a lot. Yes. Like it is right. real in that sense, but it is yeah. this totally social construct. Uh, it totally is. And what we have to think about, I think to have a healthy relationship with money, even as business owners, CEOs, leaders and companies, low level team members, whatever, is that money is something that helps us um, make the world. I mean, in my like bleeding heart, yeah, a better place to help more yeah. people to, That's what you want. Um, yeah, like we want to have ambition and things like that, but we also want to help people with our money. We want to yeah. be able to, like the reason that I am trying to have a healthier relationship with money is because I want to be able to, um, you know, spend without, you know, fearing the, like not having, not having that money anymore, you know, knowing yeah. that like, Hey, more is coming in. And that's because I'm serving these clients and because I'm changing people's lives in that way. And I'm contributing to the, making the world a better place by creating impact in the workplace. And that, yeah. like, I can do great things with money and it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's also not a real thing. Yeah. Well, so, you know, um, have you ever been, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but have you ever been like driving on a two lane road? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, your road and then you got double yellow on, on the middle and then a big old semi truck comes, you know, the opposite way on mm-hmm. And it's like, so here's your car and here's the semi and you guys are going. And the only thing that keeps your vehicle from smashing into the semi truck is the agreement between two strangers to stay on your side of that paint. Yes, that's I'm it. very thankful for that agreement. That's, that's, the, that's, the only, that's the only thing that's keeping you from hitting each other. I've thought about that many yeah, times. Yeah. Like, they look down at their phone or turn oh around around in the back. That needs to stop. So dead. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, same with me. Like I have to like keep my eyes on the road. That's why I don't like driving. I'm a you know seven yeah. ESFP and I like to multitask and really right. not I'm not great at focusing on Yeah, one it's thing, fun. So. Driving needs to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like yesterday I hit a curb and luckily didn't put, uh, pop my tire. I was trying to let them know I was late. This is like yeah. the most daily story of all time. Letting them know I'm late, driving and not paying attention, but hitting the curb. And I'm really glad I just kind of went like up on it and like That's came cool. back down. That's like, a good one. The yeah. Lord. yeah, for real. In a workplace when you have 50 strangers, you know, mm-hmm. maybe more or less and people as they get to know each other and have these like um unwritten agreements of just like you know you stay in your lane i stay in mine we don't end Mm -hmm. up crashing things like that Mm -hmm. we have to like have certain systems so me driving on the right side of the road in the united states 
is the standard process. It is something we've all agreed on. I cannot be defiant and like drive in the left lane and expect not to crash into other vehicles. Yeah. And that's how it is in the workplace. We have to like have standard processes that are communicated, expectations that are set very, very clearly. Um, because as Brene says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And it's not rude to, or bad to set really clear, consistent expectations and make sure that they're enforced and things like that. It's not a bad thing. And it's actually what makes things run a lot more smoothly and keeps people happier because we're all agreeing to the same consistent expectations. So like having those clear expectations, if everyone's operating on a set of clearly set expectations, then Mm -hmm. that at least reduces um, the possibility of silent expectations Mm-hmm. Because you're all operating on clearly set expectations. Yes. And I mean, sure, sure, you're going to run into edge cases where people are going to silently expect things. Mm-hmm. But at least for like the core operation, like the core systems, like the, the thing that keeps the machine running, you have all these things in place to where everyone has the same expectations of one another. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to be like, hey, could you like um, not put dishes in the sink? then that's a silent expectation, but it's not like, can you make sure that we have a first draft three days before the deadline mm-hmm. as like a standard operating procedure? Yeah, that I isn't, think that's really yeah. great. Yeah. And the good thing about it is that it's okay to renegotiate and it's okay to um, ask clarifying questions months or years down the line in that, that standard process. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people forget that they can actually like renegotiate or change those things. I had a friend who was in marriage counseling and you know, like just, that's a healthy thing to do. I'm totally cool with all kinds of counseling. And her counselor reminded her and her husband that you have to renegotiate things. Like, yes, you take vows, but every year or two, you may need to actually like talk about things because things change. People's jobs change. You might do, um, family members pass away. Friendships change. Um, People grow and change. Yeah. Yeah. Growing is changing. Yeah. And um, that's bridesmaids. And and that's something that like, it's okay to do. Like it's, you know, I'm not saying you open it. It's like you renegotiate into an open marriage or something. You negotiate like, Hey, who does what, what are the expectations? Things aren't feeling balanced right now. Or, um, you know, sharing things like this, this hurts my feelings. This is how I feel about it, but really validating each other's feelings and making sure that we are like always caring about other people. Like, yes, we need to care about ourselves too, but like care, care about other people. Why is that so hard? Yeah. Is that, is caring about other people? Is that something that you just hire for? Like you can't teach someone to do that, right? I think you can teach people to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that it comes more naturally to certain types. Okay. I think innately, I would probably say most people are a little more selfish and I don't mean that in like people are bad, but even like Enneagram twos and nines. So like the helper and the peacemaker, they want to help and they look like these like really easygoing people. But Mm -hmm. you look at the core um, fear is that like for the the two, the helper, they, they want to be loved. So, Hey, that's about me. You know, like as a seven, I love to like host and it looks like, you know, I'm so giving in that way. And people are like, oh my gosh, are you sure you're not a two? But no, I'm a, I'm a seven. And this is just fun for me. I like having fun and being comfortable and like having my friends over and cooking dinner. Like, yeah, it's a way for me to serve. And I love doing that, but it's not this like altruistic act. And so we have to like, I have to think about like, now, if it doesn't go with my plans in the workplace or in a fun friend setting, um, 
how can I still serve other people and not have my way? How can I like submit to others um, desires once in a while? Not once in a while, but I mean, probably more yeah. frequently than that. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it can be taught. I think that's so a it's really- like a le- It can be a learned skill. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I do think it comes more naturally to certain types and other types are a lot more, um, you know, either competitive or focused on themselves. And then we have mental health issues that can come in there, you know, mm-hmm. narcissism, um, other things like that. But I think overall people with work and a continuous self-improvement can work on that. And yeah. it doesn't have to be altruistic all the time, but you know, just care about others. That's, it actually is a good investment back to you. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, for sure, that's like a core competency of like being able to interact with other yeah. other human beings. Oh yeah, and there are so yeah. many great resources and lists out there. Like I always recommend the Speed of Trust, which is um, a Franklin Covey practice, and there are thirteen trust competencies or trust behaviors. And I talk about those a lot in my business, just as you know, the kind of one-offs. Like, hey, remember, like this is one of those main trust competencies: transparency or clear expectations. And that has helped my relationships absolutely in the workplace, but like absolutely in friendships as well. I had a friend um, who was going to travel to Australia with me a few years ago, and we probably had three or more expectations conversations. And I Mm. thought like, this is so funny. This is something I usually do more in the workplace. But we talked about what are our must do's and what are our skips and things I definitely don't want to do. How much money are we wanting to spend? Like, are we wanting to stay at resorts in the cities we go to or hostels? And it was great because we got on the same page about things and then we compromised and collaborated on other ideas. So I said, of course, I want to go to the Great Barrier Reef and snorkel or scuba dive. I want to see Sydney. I, and I don't want to spend a lot of money. So we're, I'd rather not, you know, stay in a resort. I had one of the friends we were visiting is like, do you want to do that? And we were like, oh no, (laughs) let's spend like a 10th per night. And yeah. stay in the hostel because we're not already going to do a sleep there. We're not staying right. out of the hostel. Right. And it was an amazing trip because we had those awesome conversations. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Man. So trans- transparency. Yeah. Transparency and setting Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like that whole list through it. So I suggest people look it up. You can even just Google like speed of trust competencies. And okay. there are things like show loyalty. So that's basically don't gossip about people. Don't talk yeah. about people who are not there. So you show loyalty to everyone in your organization right. by giving them the benefit of the doubt, assuming positive intent, seeking first to understand. It's really good stuff. Cool. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, how has your work changed um, since coronavirus coronavirus coronavirus. Uh, it's changed a lot so i had never i don't think i had had maybe i'd had a zoom call before yeah (laughs) but maybe two maybe and i I had the app even installed right and i had not led any virtual sessions with any clients yet in person and like i love traveling so i was like oh i'll just if i ever went or when i get clients outside of kansas city i will travel to them and like i still want to do that fyi clients i want to come to you (laughs) Uh, clients out there when you hire me Uh, but i it's been like something i'm glad i embraced this weird monster because yeah. man, like I, I, I wouldn't have met you otherwise. It's true. Like, I don't live in Georgia and I never lived in Texas. Yeah. And I'm great that we, it's great that we like yeah. connected. Like the world's and opened we, up. Yeah. Like I feel yeah. like the world is bigger in this way and it 
I, what I was worried about and spoke with my counselor about is I was afraid that like, you know, the world has already become so online focused and obsessed. Like when you look at, you haven't been on a dating app ever probably, but there are some questions on like Bumble that ask, um, you know, nightclub or Netflix and everybody puts Netflix, which I know maybe I'm thinking about this too deeply, but I'm not saying like, I want to go to declare all the time, but like, what's wrong with going out and literally physically being around other humans. And it's been so sad because everybody just wants to lay in their bed and watch Netflix and like never socialize or interact with other humans. But, um, I've noticed that I think people are fatigued from all this online time and it has great things. But it yeah. also has still made people be like, no, I want to do some in-person stuff. Yeah. So it's nice that the world is, um, has opened up a little bit in that way. And we can do it if we, if we you know, are distanced and wear masks. Yeah. I definitely do. I mean, I had a small group with um, like my new church mm-hmm. last night and we wore masks the whole time and sat over six feet away from each other. Yeah. But it was so good to be in person. Yeah. It was so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I you think- asked how my work has changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how is, um, well, in terms of like what your clients are going through, what kind of challenges are they facing given, you know, like no one's in the office? Oh, yeah. Um, I've had a lot of clients talk to me about how they feel like people are feeling disconnected because yeah, they can be on Zoom, Zoom calls, but you can't just like check in with people consistently all the time. And you're not like walking by each other's cubes or offices or workspaces or able to like hop on over to your local coffee shop and grab a cup of coffee. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you're at home, you're going to go downstairs and have coffee and then come back to your computer and stare at a screen and burn your eyeballs. And um, they've asked like, you know, what can we do to actually make meetings more engaging, make sure people still feel connected with each other. And so there um, are a lot of things we've been working through in that area of making sure things stay like on an emotional level is a good yeah. point. Like not just playing a, a dumb game or something like that, where, I mean, the, the games aren't bad, you know, that is fine. <laughs> that is like, that's just like when you throw an employee appreciation thing and you just give people pizza, yeah. you know, like a pizza party's great but like setting a culture of psychological safety where we can all give feedback to each other is a lot sexier in my opinion like i (laughs) that is better than a pizza party i can go buy my own pizza you know or (laughs) we can can, buy my own pizza yeah well we can and it's it's fun but like that does not make up for a poor workplace culture no it doesn't because then people people are eating the pizza in resentment Uh uh-huh oh yeah 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 or, and, or they just pick it up and take it back to their desk and there's no right. connection yeah. anyway, which happens all the time too. So um, it's about like having emotional connections with people and making mm-hmm. sure that you're like talking with more than just one person, you know, yeah. like have skip level meetings. So if you are a leader who manages other leaders, have skip level meetings and it does not to be have, it does not have to be super formalized like mm-hmm. i do think that one-on-ones that are consistent need to be formalized to a degree they have to have um, some sort of like structure and process and template and you have to track it so um, um i've been working with a few different companies that do that and trying to see like which one i recommend the best out of out of all of them um but i think that's really important but if you have a skip level meeting that's where you get to like know like how how are things really going yeah. what are our clients and customers or donors or, um, users isn't uh, users is like a software term Mm -hmm. or drug dealing usually, but, um, usually we're not working with clients like that, but 
Like, what are people actually saying? And then truly listen to those lower level employees. And that's going to help like thus when people feel heard and like, oh my gosh, my boss's boss listened to me about something and then gave me credit. Like that is just like putting so many like coins in that bank of psychological safety. And it's going to help build this like, uh, level of trust that is such a good investment for the organization and people are going to feel a lot more like loyal to your organization and to your leadership when you create a culture like that. Uh, if people want to learn more, mm-hmm. uh, how do they find out more about what you do? Yeah. So I have a website, vaxacollective.com and that's V-A-X-A, Swedish for to grow because my dad's side nice. is Swedish and I'm helping people and companies grow. Nice. So vaxacollective.com and they can um, email me, Haley at vaxacollective.com. Haley is H-A-L-E-Y. And I also have a Facebook group that's pretty new and it's called Millennials Advancing Leadership Skills. So go to Facebook, find that group, ask to join, and uh, we'd love to have you there. So you don't even have to be a millennial. It's just, you know, the niche that I'm marketing to. Um, But it's where I do a lot of free trainings, provide a lot of value, answer questions about leadership and culture and talent development professionalism, things like that. So it's, um, it's kind of just all either workplace stuff, but you, I've had some friends even say like, oh, I'm not in the workplace anymore. If they're a stay-at-home mom or if they started their own business. And it's funny because I like literally told my friend like, well, you're a small group leader through your church or, you know, you're leading your children or you're leading, like you can have leadership skills and have, and not be in the workplace. So, um, you know, anybody can join. Very happy to have people do that um, if you're just wanting to learn. So millennials advancing leadership skills. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. This has been fun, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a comment and a rating on Apple Podcasts. This will make sure that the algorithm likes us. And if the algorithm likes us, we'll get more listeners. So thank you so much and see you guys in the next one.